1: Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make the second half of life even better than the first. Over the last few decades, addressing the needs of caregivers has emerged as a national priority, with millions of people trying every day to balance work and family life, especially sandwich generation parents who are managing both child care and elder care. But there's another type of caregiving that may not have received as much attention, but it too involves millions of families nationwide. It's called kinship care, a term used to describe the raising of children by grandparents, as well as other relatives and family friends. Recently, the term grandfamily was coined to describe families engaged in kinship care, although roughly only 40% of these caregivers are not grandparents. In today's episode, Gerald Wallace, the founder of the New York State Kinship Navigator, will talk about his deep and abiding advocacy on behalf of kinship caregivers and their families. Since graduating from law school more than 25 years ago, Jerry has become a leading expert on kinship care, drafting federal and state legislation, providing legal continuing education training on kinship law, and presenting at many conferences, commissions, and local forums. His work, along with other advocates, has resulted in more than 30 recommendations becoming laws, regulations, or policy changes. Jerry has received numerous awards for his leadership, but more than these accolades, you will be inspired by his far-reaching knowledge of kinship issues, his devotion to supporting kinship families, and his commitment to raising national awareness of the needs, challenges, and rewards of kinship care. So now let's meet our guest, Jerry Wallace. Jerry, welcome to the show.
2: Ron, that's quite the introduction. Thank you so much. You're a terrific advocate and you said so many good things already about kinship care. I don't know where to start, but <laughs> you, you know, I'll get there. Okay. So my <laughs> thanks to you and my own personal thanks to the audience for uh, coming in to listen to about this topic. I'm sure you'll find it interesting mm-hmm. and hopefully it'll be important to many of you out there who are raising children. right what would you like <laughs> to start with? Well, I'd like to start a little bit about
1: you. I mean, I always like to start my shows. I, I'm always, of course, focusing on a specific topic, of what I, which I think is of, of, of interest to our audience. But I'm also interested in our guests, and they always have interesting lives that I like to feature because they're rarely, you know, these, you know, sequential lives in, in you know, the, the coming out of college into a career that just continues. They involve a lot of different things. Now, yours actually did start off fairly. You, you were, you were at, you trained as a lawyer but your interest in kinship care came on fairly early. So tell us a little bit about that and what attracted you and you know, why are you passionate about it?
2: I I would like to say that I became a lawyer first off recognizing late in life. I got my law degree at the age of 49. Wow. I was supposed to go to law school in 1970, but I was waylaid by the sixties mm-hmm. and had really um, been quite alienated, came from a broken home and, uh, Irish family with my father, you know, an alcoholic and uh, family mm-hmm. abuse and that kind of thing. And I spent the 70s really trying to find my footing back out of uh, that uh, cloud of smoke, so to speak, okay? Mm-hmm. But uh, in that era, in that era, I got the seeds of why I would become interested in kinship care. My first job out of Fordham, uh, post-undergraduate, was in the South Bronx for the Department of Health back when it was... Um, noted for Fort Apache, the yeah. police precinct that had been firebombed by the local residents and was considered possibly the worst ghetto in America. If anyone knows anything about the Bronx, mm-hmm. then I can quote the, uh, Ogden Nash for his famous poem about the Bronx. Sorry, folks in the Bronx. The poem, the poem is, The Bronx, no thanks. <laughs> 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 it, it somewhat describes what I was confronting back then. Six-story walk-up buildings. I lived in one of them on the sixth story, and many, many, many of them abandoned in the South Bronx and filled with garbage and trash. And back then, heroin was king, and on every corner, you could see somebody doing that slow fall where they were nodding out. So that was my introduction um, post undergraduate from kind of like an Irish uh, Catholic uh, working class college. And it was a shock. Uh, and I. Wound up working there for over a year. And my basic impression was I met some of the best people I ever met in my life. People, you know, struggling mm. against all sorts of incredible circumstances. If you showed up early for the job, there was a good chance you were going to get mugged. Wow. Uh, there, the violence was everywhere. And there were people trying to hold families together and to pull them up by their bootstraps. And um, I got to see their struggles firsthand. There were only a handful of, so to speak, white guys there, and over 300 guys that were picking up garbage in these aband- abandoned buildings, and we were one of the five centers in this in the, <clears throat> New York City. So mm-hmm. that was quite an education. I then left New York City because I just it was just not a good time, mm-hmm. and um, had, did a lot of working class jobs in uh, rural America, and then wound up on Wall Street. And then back teaching in Harlem, and then um, eventually uh, I went back to law school in uh, '93. Wow! And so, lots uh, but, but you could say about that, but that that uh, the quality and the and the rough world that those folks had to raise families and never left me in my appreciation of them. Uh, and so then I got to law school in the '90s and. I had had a very good education that I had been not really working on uh, using, and I was offered a fellowship in law school, and it was suggested that I do it in elder law, and the uh, dean of the law school had just done a 1995 White House mini-conference on aging on grandparent mm-hmm. caregiving. It was a run-up to the uh, national every 10-year conference on aging held at the White House, and right. she suggested I do it in kinship care. Well, talk about having the, um, the veil fall from your eyes and discover a compelling topic. I wrote a monograph, got it published, I graduated, I graduated cum, uh, magna cum laude, I could have went to a big law firm, but basically I'm kind of an outlaw, mm-hmm. and I decided I wanted to help these families, and uh, I struck out on my own, uh, representing kinship families in family court. Um, And landed at the, uh, got the only job in New York State then dedicated to this at the Grandparent Caregiver Law Center at Hunter College. Stayed there for a few years and a lot of other things went on, but that began my career. It kind of morphed from the Grandparent Caregiver Law Center. I'll talk about it later more. But the impetus then had a second quality to it. Mm -hmm. Not only was I drawn to these families because I could appreciate them, but in the course of that, Uh, years in the wilderness, I became a Buddhist, okay? And as a Buddhist, uh, one of the um, kind of um, tools for expanding your sense of empathy for people is to look at all of them as your parents, although Hmm. it's apocryphal, it's not factual, but viewing folks as your parents in this life or the past, since time stretches on God knows where, was a way to kind of increase your empathy and sympathy and support for them. And when I met these kinship families that I started meeting in 1997, the incredible nature of them was most of them were really poor. And there they were trying to become uh, caregivers a second time around. There are programs that say parenting a second time around. So taking on the task of parenting willfully, voluntarily, out of love for a child the second time around with so many um, disadvantages just kind of put the nail in the coffin and I was hooked for the rest of my career. Wow. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah.
1: So you 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 became a lawyer and you're still a lawyer, but you're kind of an outlawyer. <laughs> so,
2: outlawyer. I like that. Yeah. I'll put that on my next business. Card. Okay.
1: Good. Yeah. Well, but that's I love that story and I love the personal sentiment because that's that's a you know, it's really compelling. So thanks for that story as well. Um so let's let's shift a little bit, Jared, to talk. Just describe the general field for people, you know, who really, um, you know, have a general idea. But again, I think most people, frankly, like me, probably, you know, have just heard about, oh, yeah, grandparents taking care of grandchildren. You know, that's what you, you know, you that's the, yeah. the, the snapshot you get. But tell us a little bit more about the field and, and what it really involves, what well, it I, encompasses. Yeah. The
2: first thing today to do, and you alluded to it earlier, is to just kind of um, – make sure people realize it isn't just grandparents. I said that my first job was the Grandparent Caregiver Law Center. And at the same time in the 90s when I had that job, the Department for Aging in New York City instituted the Grandparent Caregiver uh, Center, uh, which was a service center for these families. And ARP way back then had a grand, uh, grandparent center that was very active nationally. Mm-hmm. And the, all of this was centered on grandparents back then, to the point where in 1998, in um, the closing years of the uh, Clinton administration, they enacted one of the uh, an amendment to the census law that it had to capture information on grandparent caregivers. And it still does that to this day. But there we are in the mid-90s. There had been an explosion of caregiving by grandparents and other relatives. Mostly due to the crack epidemic in the 80s and the okay. huge number of children that were becoming eligible for foster care, and then the countless millions of children outside of that were, were living with relatives who had stepped up to the plate without any um, requests from the uh, foster care community. So, grandparent caregiving was the uh, no, uh, nom de plume for all of this, but it was somewhat of a misnomer. And moving forward a little bit, I. um, Want to express more? I guess what I should talk about here is who these families are. Yeah, sure. uh, Besides the um, the um, fact that about forty percent of them are non-grandparents, aunts and uncles, you know, adult children, family friends. I Mm -hmm. I remember once meeting a twenty-five-year-old young lady whose best friend had died in a car accident, and she had that the deceased three children. Wow. She's not married. She's not a relative, but she's a kinship caregiver. That's who they are. They're disproportionately poor, uh, disproportionately black and people of color and Latino. Um, the aging on them is 56 years old is the average age. About 40% of the population is over 60. Um, and, you know, you can just taking that of the bare statistics, you can imagine the drama behind these families when they're asked to care for a child. And a typical story is a child is removed or there's a potential for removal from a parent who's on drugs or alcohol. The causes are drugs, alcohol, abuse, neglect, imprisonment, abandonment, um, incarceration, and all sorts of things, but all of them dreadful. Many of them coming attention to the local child welfare authorities. And when they do, the first caregiver I ever met had gotten a call from uh, the Rensselaer Department of Social Services mm-hmm. and said, we removed uh, this three-year-old from your daughter's home. Will you come get it? Well, wow. i I never met a grandmother yet who hadn't said, and again, m- mainly grandmothers, particularly in this scenario, uh, who didn't rush down and get that child. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a week later, call me up. And I was already working in the field and say to me, I'm still a student. I think I was doing my monograph. What do I do now? And I said, well, go ask them for help. And the response from the department was you took the child willingly. willingly. We don't have to help you. Wow. And that, that opened up my eyes to the, the beginning of understanding the host of disadvantages that these families were going to be facing. Um, so kinship care, the causes are awful the caregivers are older many times not in that great of health disproportionately they're at the lower end of the uh, um, you know the income spectrum but i've seen it everywhere i mean i've been at meetings in uh, with the legislature and the congressman or the assemblyman or the senator will say to me i'm caring for my my grandchild or i'm mm-hmm. caring for my nephew you know it's everywhere um and now i'd like to just give it a little bit of a historical perspective absolutely it isn't, it isn't a phenomenon of crack it's a phenomenon of everything that can go wrong in life count, through the ages right whether it's an epidemic a war uh in american history uh typhoid was a big killer and um you know, in every one of these epidemics, if you read the history of even the great people who are our founding fathers and other people who are the leaders in the development of the country, countless stories where they're caring they, their wife died or they died and their children go live with somebody else. And then their children are raised up and become, you know, um, oftentimes really great leaders in the country. So kinship care really is a historical phenomenon when parents can't parent, then relatives step in, chiefly grandparents. Okay. And there's even going back to prehistory, there's an old hypothesis that I think is getting um, reworked now. Uh, I saw an article just last week saying that it's become aware that mothers went out and, uh, on hunting in prehistoric times more than they realized previously. So adult women were hunters. Well, the uh, grandma hypothesis is if um, the if the young adults are out hunting, who's got the kids? Grandma. <laughs> uh, of course, grandma at that right. time might have been 35, you know, if we're lucky. But it, it even gets a little bit more sorted in that they talk about the, why does there menopause and the thought is that maybe menopause, one of the reasons for it is, is to stop women from having children so they <laughs> can contribute to the hunter gathering and leave the kids to grandma. So wow. anyhow... Across the whole spectrum of our human history, um, non-parents caring for children is integral to the development of our cultures.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things, Jared, that that we're really starting to tease around the edges of a lot of these stereotypes and a lot of these myths, right? Because you know, even even in things like um, suburban housing, you know, so there's a lot of objection and a lot of typical suburbia to anything but single family housing, you know, without any real understanding that that's not what exists today. That's not what society is. You know, the divorce rate is 50%. As you said, there are families that break up for lots of reasons and and for lots of reasons that are, you know, are are mainstream issues. You know, I think as you alluded to the stereotype as well, all this comes out of the crack academic. Well, okay. So, so there's some historical significance that, but it's, it's basically Way beyond that. And that's, that's you know, so it's not representative of, of the range of issues that affect
2: people today. Um, well, and jumping go ahead. in there, you know, uh, we're talking about kinship caregivers being full time primary caregivers of children living in their home. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to talk about child care, it's relatives, it's grandparents, or the, you know, like 80% of the child care in America is provided by relatives. And, you know, having them live nearby is critical to providing that care. Um, So, um, you know, they they talk about grandparent apartments in uh, suburban homes. They're really important. And uh, any parent who's got the good fortune to have a grandma who will come over and take care of little Johnny uh, so she can go to the stores and get a break knows how wonderful it is to have relatives living nearby. You know, so. This is a family is not the nuclear family, right. The idea that it was is a modern phenomenon that really is just a blip in history that is clearly you know, dissipating already. Right, great. So listen, Jared, we're, we have to take
1: a short break, um, but when we come back, uh, don't go away, folks. We'll be talking much more with Jerry Wallace, the founding director of the New York State Kinship Navigator. So don't go anywhere.
3: Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
0: Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burroughs and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, Noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward.
1: Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Jerry Wallace, the founding director of the New York State Kinship Navigator and an ardent advocate for kinship kids and caregivers everywhere. So before the break, we were talking with Jerry, and he was giving us a really good background and a little context to the field. And uh, I wanted to continue a little bit along those vein, uh, vein and, and ask ask a bit to just talk about, you know, kinship care, uh, as, you know, in terms of foster care. What are the differences? What are the benefits of, you know, and what are some uh, advantages of kinship care in particular?
2: Thanks, Ron. Uh, foster care is not kinship care. Right. Most kinship families are not foster families. Uh, that's a really important fact. I remember once giving a talk to judges, and I spoke for 40 minutes about the problems of kinship care, and we'll get to it. And at the end, the judge says to me, I'm sorry, aren't these families in foster care? Well, my head hit the table. and uh, But that's the way it is. No, foster care and kinship care are distinct. There are some kinship families that are foster parents. Foster care is the government run system. It has a huge amount of money, billions of dollars uh, funded to enable the government to take care of children when parents can't parent, usually because of abuse, neglect, or abandonment, or that same litany that occurs for white children going to kinship care privately. Um, so obviously foster care will get that situation. need to remove um uh, children from a parent, and they may use kin as a foster parent. That's a small set. About 5% of kinship care is kinship foster care. Okay. Now, many kinship families wish they could be in foster care and feel they were unfairly um, kind of uh, misrepresented or were not given the full opportunity to become a foster parent. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. If they were foster parents, they're su- subject to Family Court Act Article 10, which governs neglect and abuse proceedings post a removal. That's to be a formal removal. And the, and the value of that is the parent is going to get a lawyer, the state is going to come in with their attorneys, and they're going to try and show to a judge that the child should not be lived, be living with the parent and of course then they're going to look for alternatives whether it's a kin or a um a non-relative foster parent the value right there is the court proceeding governing what's going to happen to this child has a government attorney who's doing the representation and legal assistance is a big issue for kin who are not in foster care Mm. secondly foster care benefits are much larger than any other financial payment available to kin and if the child who is in foster care has special needs or exceptional needs the payments can go up to over two thousand dollars a month for one child Hmm. that's not going to happen to any kinship child outside of foster care then you have preventive services that'll get in there and try and help the um the parent right the ship so they can become parents and the adjudication as to when they can assume parenting again is done in that same court proceeding with that same legal representation. Moreover than that, you get all that assistance, you get the court protection, you get, if you're certified as a foster parent, and then you get ways out of foster care that can continue financial assistance and oftentimes even continue some of the uh, um, legal uh, assistance against the errant parent. Coming out of foster care, you can become a kinship guardian, you can become an adoptive parent, or you could take the child on on your own, or luckily, if it works out, the child might go back to live with their parent. For those two first instances, there's continued financial assistance available post foster care. None of that is available to a kinship family. Aside from that, you have assistance with getting things like social security cards and birth certificates, um, educational um, uh, assistance and guarantees that the child can stay with you without the parent coming in and doing all sorts of kind of things that are disruptive to the home. So uh, kin oftentimes wish they could be foster parents, but they didn't get there. Mm. So that's very interesting. I didn't know that
1: distinction. It seems like, um, so the foster care system is geared toward Basically, abuse situations of some sort, whereas kinship could be sort of anything. It could be any kind of circumstance. That- really,
2: ne- neglect is much Let- larger than abuse. Certainly, abuse is there, but okay. most of the foster care is going to be neglect. Yeah. Uh, and, and kinship care, again, going moving towards now talking about kinship care, you can have that re- the, the child welfare agency sees the k- kid has to get out of this home. And there is a law where they can, they can go and call the relatives and say, will you take the child? And if the relative says, as I gave that earlier story about, yeah, I'll take the child, they never have to do that Article 10 proceeding, legal representation, and none of those uh, benefits flow to the kinship family. The kinship family is basically on their own. On the other hand, beyond involvement with foster care, many kinship families do this on their own anyhow. They talk to their daughter and say you can't do this, or their daughter calls up and says, "I'm hitting the road for California and never to be seen again," and you wind up with a knock on your door and you get that child on your own, with independently of any foster care involvement, child welfare involvement. But the con- the commonality is the reasons for the parents stopping to parent, they either are unable or unwilling. Mostly for bad reasons, sometimes for good reasons. Yeah, but it it does seem
1: to be you know an, an unfairly weighted system, you know, against kinship care in terms of providing because you're providing you know you're taking care of kids, you know, you're you know that who wouldn't have that care otherwise. So to,
2: to have There's no a kind forty year history of fighting back with child welfare law hmm. to try and provide more opportunity for kin to become foster parents, more paths post-placement with a kin to become foster parents, and then independently to provide some kind of similarities and benefits to kinship families, even if they don't become foster parents. This is a topic that goes back to 1980. Um, and, you know, I've written, I've, I have a 50-page article coming out when the Child Welfare League of America on mm-hmm. it pretty soon. And it's entitled Diversion, Kinship Kinship, Force, kinship Care, Diversion, and Kinship family rights mm. and each one of those topics we don't have time for right but, but in, in,
1: in short is the issue money that they would divert money out of the foster care system to kinship families and,
2: and there's actually a bill on the federal level right now to set up a funding stream to provide foster care dollars specifically for kin to become foster parents okay uh, because we've moved from resistance to be kin to becoming foster parents To an acceptance in the late 80s that they should have the same benefits if they become foster parents as foster parents. To in the 90s, developing laws to increase their opportunities to become foster parents. To the current legislation saying that we would like to set up a parallel foster care system distinctly for kin because they have... um, unique circumstances for instance we can waive some of the safety not safety but non-safety requirements beds and houses and maybe we can look back and say oh, all right they they um, when they were 20 they broke the law but they're 40 and we're not going to pay any attention to that so they're not you know excluded from becoming foster parents so it's really moved a lot towards that and now currently the goal of most foster care systems is to have 50 percent of their foster care be kin. Hmm. Now, yes, that's that's money they're spending anyhow, because children are removed, and the pool of non-kin foster parents has shrunk. It is now necessary to use kin as foster parents, because they don't have non-kin foster parents. But it's also opening up the door to more funding and more supports for kin who will never get become foster parents no. the whole the 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 worm has turned and kinship care is now recognized as the best placement for children if they can't be with a wholesome parents right great well that's good news i'm
1: glad to hear that yeah. there's there's some positive movement there um so going back to what you said earlier mentioning this story about this woman who who you know has a a child end up with her and she takes her in and then and then she calls you and says what next so that's that sort of, <laughs> so, because that is sort of, so let's talk a little bit more specifically about all the kinds of challenges you do face as a, as a, as a kinship uh, uh, parent, a grandparent or whatever, or a kinship caregiver, uh, some of which may be similar to you know, foster uh, parents. But um, so, so there are a whole host of them, you know, there, I guess some of them start with the financial, but they're legal and emotional and practical. So let's just talk about some of those issues.
2: Yeah, I—I I mean, this is a lecture that I would do for attorneys, and I do three hours, and they say we, <laughs> need, we need more time. Okay. So try to go—you uh, know—give you some bullet points on. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. One of the fir- first divisions is: Do you have an opportunity to become a foster, to become a parent, to become a, a kinship parent or a kinship caregiver? Right. And then once you become a kinship caregiver, what's the landscape for you regarding your? your financial assistance, your authority to care for a child, your security about knowing that child can reside in your home so you can't be threatened with losing them. And how do you go about future planning for that child if you're an older caregiver? All of these issues just keep, you know, like um, they just keep opening up into more and more. But around the first one about the opportunity to become a, a parent, a kinship caregiver, I should say. If you want to become a kinship caregiver, you're going up against either a child that's in foster care, maybe with a stranger, and now you've found out about them, and you didn't have a chance to become a foster parent, and you're saying, that's my grandson, I want him. And there are many, many instances of the finding out too late, and there are also many instances when they never find out. You'll hear about kids who uh, age out of foster care and then find out that they're Uncle lived around the corner and no one ever let them know. Wow. So um, one of the things that the foster care system has a big effort on is to find families. Hmm. And that's increased over the past 20 years because the more family placements we can do, the better off we can do for children, regardless of whether in foster care or whatnot. So family finding is a big deal. Okay. So whether they find you or you find a child in foster care. One of the laws we got passed in New York is um Family Court Act 1028A which gives a care a relative an independent petitioning process to go to the the family court and say I'm a relative I just found out my nephew's in foster care I want him. And that judge will do an adjudication and decide whether it's in the child's best interest to be there. That's a new law we got about 10 years ago but you can see how we're starting to reflect now real family situations where before they didn't have the rights to do these things. Okay. Right. So yeah. then getting a child, you're dealing either with the foster care system and there's other things I can say about that, but just highlighting those two or you independently go to your uh, son who's <clears throat> living in it. I'm sorry. I'm going to be real about it. Living in a trailer or a block away and is skunked out every day of his life, beating up his wife and the kids are in dreadful shape. And you're in a rural county where DSS looks at you and says, it's not our problem. It's a family problem. Hmm. Because again, there is a money factor here and uh, spending money. Uh, while everybody has the best of intentions, you can't get blood out of a stone. And DSSs are trying to do too much with too little. By DSSs, I mean Departments of Social Services, right? They're in charge of public child welfare benefits and then foster care benefits. So there's a there are... And then welfare benefits, what I'm Mm -hmm. saying, you know, just money people who are poor. So grandma says, I got to do something. And she says, I got to go to court and get this child. First, she tries to get him willingly. Will my son give me the baby? And if the kid doesn't, and I have to say, there's a lot of really nasty family dynamics here that occur, in which young children are used as pawns in getting back at parents. Mm. Oh, it gets very brutal, the stories. So grandma goes to court. She has to petition then become either a legal guardian or a legal custodian. And the Kinship Navigator, one of our expertise is, what's the difference between those two? And I'll get to a little bit of that later on. Okay. But the first thing is the petition. Most uh, grandmas are, and most family courts are going to want you to go for legal custody. Well, will they give you a kid just because you want them? No. And will they give you an attorney most times not one of our other big issues is finding legal representation for poor relatives who are in family court trying to get children it's a very heart-wrenching uh issue i've seen families mortgage their homes to get the money so that they could pay for a lawyer to try and get it try and get a child out of a really dysfunctional household right wow. so if you can get to the court and you get representation do you have Your first hurdle is what they call the threshold test. The law protects parents and protects parents' rights to raise their children badly. Okay? You know, badly. You can raise a kid really bad. I once read a case in Massachusetts where the grandparent lost because the judge said, well, the father didn't stab him. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, the old standard, you had to be—you had to have a physical injury of some substance before the courts would intervene. Wow, they've gotten a little bit more enlightened than that. But there is a phrase called extraordinary circumstances. You must show an extraordinary circumstance to get to the best interest of the child, and extraordinary circumstances are just the kind of things that get a child removed—abuse, neglect, abandonment mental illness, those kind of things. But now you're on your own trying to prove that. And incidentally, mom or dad is going to get a court-appointed attorney if they're poor, and you're going to be struggling to get one. So I'm talking here about the opportunity to care, and that's one avenue is going into court. Much more can be said about that, that avenue in court, and what it means. I'd like to just say one thing. Okay. uh, If you go into court, and anybody listening and they're considering about, maybe I can convince the parent to consent. If the parent consents to you becoming the custodian, if the parent chooses to revoke their consent, the child goes back to the parent. If you get a finding of extraordinary circumstances, which means a real court proceeding, and it means you're you're really coming to blows with the parent, at least that finding will mean that the judge will not automatically allow the parent to get the kid back if they say they want them. There's been a finding that there's something wrong with the parent. So there's a whole body of law around these issues, but I'm suggesting to your audience that they remember the phrase extraordinary circumstances. More particular, one of the laws we got passed way back in 2003 uh, was that if you're a grandparent, if you have the child living with you already for two or more years, that is an extraordinary circumstance. And that's really valuable. Lots of times grandparents say, I've got Johnny for a year and the father's threatening to take him away. Should I go to court? And our you know, one of the counsels will be, hold on. If you can get to that two-year threshold, you really got a good chance in family court of the judge listening to you. Wow. So you can see that, and there's even more complications within here that go on and on in the uh, when they go to family court, they don't just decide, oh, grandma's a good person. They're going to do an investigation about you. And the investigation is even more intrusive in a legal guardianship. And But it's one of those two that you're going to go for probably mostly custody. So what I've done here is laid out to you the opportunity to care in the uh, foster care arena and the opportunity to care mainly on your own. One thing to say... You cannot go to court. If the parent says, take the kid, and you've got issues where you don't want to go to court, say you have a spotty criminal record, or the parent is mentally ill, and you're worried about rocking the boat, and you just don't right. want to do anything, there are laws in New York, uh, there's a power of attorney specific to parents designating their authority to someone else. Right. I, I wrote, All the laws I'm alluding to, I kind of wrote. Okay. Okay. Blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah, well, let's just, let me, I'm going to just take a pause now. Hold that thought. Uh, We need to take another short break. Uh, When we come back, folks, we'll be talking uh, much more with uh, Jerry Wallace, the founding director of the New York State Kinship Navigator. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
3: America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
0: Every conversation we have with the people in our lives is part of a relationship with them. From coworkers and bosses, to spouses, kids, and parents, to your favorite cashier at the grocery store, the path a relationship takes can have many twists and turns. The Relationship Road Trip, hosted by Dr. Don Azevedo, is here to provide a roadmap for your relationships the Relationship Road Trip, Thursdays at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement career advice and a variety of other topics check us out today you're sure to find something of interest voice america variety talk on today's hot topics
3: it's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health wealth and happiness are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts then tune in to the forbes factor with celebrity tv host keynote speaker and inspirational icon forbes riley
0: now back to 45
1: Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Jerry Wallace, a widely recognized expert and a longtime advocate for kinship families. So before the break, we were talking to Jerry about some of the challenges of you know uh, facing uh, kinship uh, caregivers and we, we barely got past the legal ones. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of uh, just legal hurdles to get through just to get to the opportunity to do a difficult job um yeah. out of love so um uh during the break jerry and i talked about you know moving forward talking about some of the custodial issues about you know when and shifting to the kids you know what happens to the kids and how do you handle the kids and you know what what are the some of the main concerns
2: well you know i was director of the kinship navigator and one of the things we did there our specialty was legal fact sheets and if you go to just go to google and new york state kinship navigator and go there and you'll see the fact sheets you'll see the coalition you'll see um you can call them you can chat with them you can uh, do all sorts of ways to contact and we are the one-stop shop we cover all the counties in the state yeah. and we're kind of the gatekeeper to any local services more about that in a minute when i get okay. to services. <clears throat> excuse me But well, we're up to okay i've got the child what are the ways you may have the child you may have the child without going to court you may be a legal custodian a legal guardian Or you may have a power of attorney from the parent. They call it a parental designation. What do you need to figure out? You need to figure out, first and foremost, and at The Navigator, there's a host of articles on this and assistance on it is, I have a new mouth to feed. I may need new housing, but I certainly, certainly I need to get clothing. Can you put me in touch with a local program that will help me do those things? And most importantly, is there any financial help for me? There is financial help. If anyone in the audience goes away remembering anything, remember there is financial help. Uh, I talked about child welfare mostly to now, but now I'm going to go over to welfare. That's money that's paid out when people are poor and they need assistance. There is financial assistance to the poor. Parents get it for a limited period of time, but that financial assistance, which is mainly government, uh, federal money, is excuse me um has a special grant available to non-parents called the non-parent grant commonly called the child only grant it's only available to non-parents caring for children and it is the eligibility is determined based on the child's only resources not the parent's resources So Bill Gates, if he took in his nephew in New York State, could apply for this financial assistance. About $440 a month, plus Medicaid, and it's available in all 62 counties. We have an enormous amount about the application, how to do it. It's confusing because the application at the Department of Social Services is geared towards parents applying for families, not for grandparents. We have a line-by-line guide. You can talk to the staff at the Navigator. We must get you that money. Most children don't have income and resources. Therefore, most children are eligible for that grant. This has an enormous body of legal literature on it, a case law, fair hearings, and whatnot. the, The thing is, get started. If you're out there and you're not getting it and you have a child in your home, the only reason they probably couldn't get it if they have survivor benefits, or if they have disability benefits of their own. Yeah, so Other than that, most children don't have income.
1: Yeah, Jared, yeah. So just step back a second, and just tell, describe a little bit about what, what is the Kinship Navigator that you founded? What, as an organization?
2: Yeah, back in 2003, Senator Clinton introduced the federal bill to fund Kinship Navigators across the country. I see. I, I proposed that model to New York State, and New York State in 2005, decided to institute it. And it's basically an information and referral warm line and website that gives you information for these families about the services available, their legal assistance, any resources around the state that can help them. And the navigator became very established in New York and is really now kind of the gatekeeper to finding out about anything that you need to find out if you're in this situation.
1: Now, are there um, similar navigators in, in, in every state? Or?
2: No, there aren't. Some are just websites. Some of them are local. You know, the, the navigators a buzzword. There are very few that are statewide entities, and that was okay. one of the things that I continually wish there was across the country. Even if you have local services in Albany, you may not have local services in Wyoming County.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: That's the case in New York. We have local services in about 26 counties in New York State. doesn't mean they're in every community, though. And you know it's a big state, and then so uh, the navigator is, and all those services incidentally use the navigator as a resource, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they go to the navigator for information. And we of course have attorneys that we work with, and uh, think tanks and poverty law groups to try and figure out all the thorny issues that I can't get to in this short presentation. Right, but that that's financial. If folks understand that child-only non-parent grant. Go find out about it. Call the Navigator or look up kinshipnavigator.org, nysnavigator.org. Get there, okay? Right, right. But I've said there were a whole bunch of buckets that we have to consider. Right. Financial is right there. Navigator will send you to local programs and um, food pantries and places to get furniture and clothing. That's the second thing. Housing is a very difficult issue for these families. If they're in senior housing, they can't bring children in. Mm -hmm. People have to move. It's an issue beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about here. But getting them to services and financial assistance is only one thing. The second issue I mentioned, and I alluded to it earlier, was security. Uh, Every caregiver I've ever met said, I've got little Johnny. He's been with me for a year and a half. He's finally doing well in school. He stopped hitting his head on the wall. He stopped bedwetting. He's really doing marvelous. He's a really brilliant little child. But his father comes around, promises him the world, and then disappears. And all the good I've gotten to progress with Johnny goes down the tubes. So one of the issues is the security of keeping a child and what you can do to prevent a child having to have relationships with parents that are really um, not constructive every child loves their parents and every parent hopefully loves their child we're a flawed human beings i'm not trying to say that parents should be shut out of their lives but when children are damaged like this you have to have the caregiver have some help in keeping them on a path forward that's beneficial rather than having it constantly just slide backwards. So security, that's the soft issue, orders of protection. Um, you know, if you're a foster parent, you've got a lot of protection from errant parents. If you're on your own, no. Um, but, you know, guys get out of prison, they haven't seen the kid for five years, they come around and they think, it's my kid. And, they, and they're furious that grandma has the child and the relationships are just terrible. Tough stuff. Worst instance is I'm taking the child, and you'll never see them again. And that's a whole can of worms under the uh, aegis of the word security which you need to talk to lawyers about or the Kinship Navigator staff. So I've talked about financial assistance, a little bit about other services. I've talked about um, the security. The other issue is the authority to care. If you're caring for a child, first thing you have to do is get them in school or get them to the doctor. Now, it depends on what legal status you have, what authority you have to perform those functions. If you've never been in court, you probably can get them into school. You're gonna have to do affidavits, and that's okay. If you're a legal custodian or legal guardian, the law says, slam dunk, you can enroll them in school. If you're not a legal custodian or legal guardian, another set of statutes that only covers a part of the population says you can be responsible for their schooling. And, you know, again, you can go on and on. What you see is that when it comes to custody, guardianship, and what's called informal custody, you don't have an order, but you're caring for the child. When you get into all these little subcategories of authority and caregiving, the law is different for each one of them. You want to get a passport. You want to get a social security card. You need to get a birth certificate. You need to go for routine medical care. You need to go for immunization. You need to go for major surgery. You may need a child that needs to be put in a facility for a while. Every one of those sets of laws is different and covers different sets of people that I just mentioned. Wow. It is not as if kinship caregivers have the right to make parental decisions for the children in their care. Wow. So you need to go listen to some guy like me go on forever to try and finally get to your particular issue.
1: Yeah. Wow. You know, so I I just listening to you and this, the tremendous complications and obstacles to deal with this. Um, So what I'm hearing is that you need to have a tremendous amount of love (laughs) to get through this process and in order to be successful and and persist. Um, So uh, we just have a a few minutes left, but just talk a little bit about just some of the the next couple of minutes, the emotional issues that you deal with in terms of supporting uh, kinship caregivers.
2: Well, I mean, I think the kinship caregivers are the sine qua non of humankind. They have really sacrificed their lives in their older years to care for children that are really problematic. I mean, I can tell one grandma, you know, one kid had a helmet on all the time because he beat his head on the wall. One was throwing feces. The other one was acting out sexually. All these kids were under the age of five. I brought that caregiver to the commissioner. And she had the children on her own, and the commissioner called me, I can't do anything to help this family. So their love is and that lady is typical of the love, unconditional love that these caregivers give to children. Um, I'd like to mention, you know, we're talking about the caregivers, but the children themselves yeah. are the ones that have suffered. Um, there's a there's a um act uh, there's a statement called there's something called an Adverse Childhood experiences, Adverse Family Experiences, which is a list of really significant, nasty events that happen to children in childhood. And this list is based on a Kaiser Permanente insurance study of 20,000 families out in the West Coast. And it has 10 listings. And the most amazing thing is if you have two of these problems, you have a line that goes like this up in your life, of all the problems you're gonna have for the rest of your life coping with two, like a parental death at an early age or parental drug abuse. If you have four of them, the line is even severe. But the problem, the thing is, four, two, five, the lines go in parallel. The more the number of difficulties, the more severe the lifetime problems for the, per, the child. And the cost to society is enormous because of not dealing with these adverse childhood experiences. Kinship care is one way of cutting the losses by removing a child from adverse childhood experiences and putting them in a place they they hopefully will thrive and do better than uh, following that terrible line up into um, disaster. Um, Now, that's all I've been able to talk today because it's a limited discussion in abstracts and about the law and some policy but the reality is and i can say um i stayed in this field for 25 years not because i like policy i'd much rather be out splitting wood or driving a truck but because when i would go in a room and listen to the caregivers and meet the children they were caring for i couldn't turn around and walk away from it and i I particularly want to say that you know there's some of the association of this is uh with um urban families and with people of color. But the turning point for me was a day in 2004 when I was giving a talk to a bunch of caregivers in Ogdensburg. Ogdenburg is on the St. Lawrence river in St. Lawrence County, which is the biggest County in this state and has many, many, many more cows than people. Okay. And I'm up there and the room was full of farmers and their wives And these were people who were older, had spent their lives working hard on the farm. They had all sorts of ailments. And they told stories about the children in their care that, um, you know, was just unbelievably difficult and cruel what the parents were doing to them. And uh, I I walked out of the room and I said, I'm not leaving this for anything because these families, who's helping them? There's a lot more help than me now. And uh, I don't mean to say that, but the people who get involved in this <clears throat> denise variano works for um she's retired she worked for cano co extension many years ago she said to me and i put it in one of my summit reports she said once you find out about these families you can't leave it right jared is- and unfortunately i
1: i love your passion but we're gonna have to leave it there for today okay. uh, but i wanted to thank you so much for uh, uh, incredibly enlightening conversation i'll have to invite you more back till we can cont- uh, continues dealing with these issues uh but uh so i just want to let you uh, if people want to get in touch with you it's uh gwallacekn at gmail.com is that right correct i
2: okay. am retired i'm supposedly retired now but who knows
1: okay. okay so folks uh thanks for joining us be sure to join me next monday 12 noon pacific 3 p.m eastern for our next uh, broadcast of, of 45 forward uh so until then keep moving forward